Hey, Proof listeners, it's Bridget here, and today's episode of Proof is another bonus episode. Now, we're talking about one of my very favorite subjects with one of my very favorite people. We've got Tucker Shaw here, and he's going to talk about presidential food. Tucker, welcome. Bridget, thank you for that very kind introduction. (laughs) You're one of my favorites, too. (laughs) Well, the food might not be presidential, but I guess the question is, what did presidents eat? Well, the thing is, presidents are people, too, right? So presidents have to eat. And presidents are just as weird and, and interesting, perhaps is the better word, as any of the rest of us. And so every one of them has had their own sort of personal tastes and personal peccadilloes, as it were. (laughs) And so there's been quite a range over the course of history of things that presidents have eaten, some boring and some really interesting. So today we're going to look at some of the more weird and wacky ones. Fabulous. Some of them have been, like, really interesting eaters and really people who cared a lot about food. Some of them sort of brought these strange habits with them from wherever they came from. And obviously things have changed because it's been, what, 240-something years? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had these things called presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, So the farther back you look, the stranger it might seem to us, but it might not seem so strange to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Going back towards the kingly diets. Correct. Right. Yes. Gotcha. Pre-presidential. <laughs> well, that was like a thing, right? I mean, right? like George Washington, they tried to make him a king. Exactly. And he was like, no, thank you very much. No, that's, I'm good. I don't have teeth. <laughs> right. Well, that, <laughs> what was that guy eating? <laughs> Smoothies. Right. <laughs> but one of the first presidents who was kind of known for being a foodie, mm-hmm. I guess, sort of pre that word, is Thomas Jefferson, of course. Yes. You could write books and books and books, and there are books and books and books about what he ate. He spent time in France. He understood that for him, food was something that he wanted to inhabit in a way that was more than just kind of like fuel. Right. He sort of wanted to use it as a, a means of expression or pleasure. celebration and pleasure. Right. Exactly. But he also had some, like, kind of gnarly things that he liked to do. But on Sundays, he did this thing called Drunken Loaf. What he would do or what he would sort of request is to take a baguette and soak it in red wine for a half an hour. So it really turns, like, mushy. Yeah. Right? But it sort of, like, has—if you think of, like, a bready Tuscan soup, it has that kind of, like, um, you know, that that starch comes off the bread and kind of sloughs up and makes sort of a really sort of— Bread pudding-ish. Pudding-ish. Exactly. And then you take kind of basically a macaroni and cheese mixture Mm -hmm. of like noodles, butter, cream, and Parmesan, which was like a big deal back then to actually get Parmesan cheese. Like you'd have to be rich. Know someone. And know some people. (laughs) Exactly. Several people (laughs) along the way. And then you scoop it over this loaf of wine-soaked bread. So it's sort of like carb on carb on carb with a little bit of cheese and a little bit of wine. So in a way, it's kind of like having a bowl of pasta with some garlic bread on the side and a glass of wine, only you're doing it very efficiently. It sounds like the perfect day after. Exactly. Yeah, hangover food. Little hair of the dog. Exactly, and lots of carbs. Yeah. Anyway, so who knows whether it inspired him to write the Declaration of Independence. I have no idea. (laughs) But it got him through those Sundays. Yeah, well, we gave him that. One of our presidents who really, I think, probably didn't have much of a chance (laughs) to stand out as remarkable was President Andrew Johnson. Who? 
Exactly. <laughs> so he came in after that terrible incident at the Booth Theater yes. with Abraham Lincoln. He was the vice president. So he was never elected president, but he had to take over. They had to spend a lot of time in New York City at this time, just like candidates do now, to raise money. So he would often be sort of fetid. Not fetid as in a swamp, but fetid as in <laughs> celebrated in New York City. And Delmonico's was, as you know, Bridget, like the place to see, be seen, eat, and not be eaten. And it was really in the French tradition. But it was sort of this idea of like courtly dining in a restaurant setting in downtown New York. So very fancy, course after course after course after course. Menus were written in French, a bunch of words that maybe you knew what they were, maybe you didn't. So one thing that was considered and still is considered a little bit taboo, but also really a signifier of kind of being in the super in crowd, like maybe if there was Illuminati during that time, oh. they would be eating this thing called ortolan, which is like a little bunting, like a little songbird. Teeny bird. Teeny weeny little bird. Not very common. And there was a sense of, I guess this probably came about after the French Revolution, a sense of like, only rich people eat this. Extravagance. We break out the pitchforks. This is like not a good idea. No, no. Right? The guillotine comes for all, right? Exactly. And there was a tradition of hanging a napkin over your head to cover your face so that God didn't see you eating this bird, which really? you would eat kind of in one take. You know that cartoon scenario where a character sticks like a, a fish in their mouth and like pulls out the yes. bones? That kind of idea. That's how you did it. With the Ortolan. So he participated in that. I don't know if he got any grief for it, but it's documented. Well, and God sees all. Okay, I'm going to interrupt our episode for a quick intermission. It's time for today's Bob's Red Mill Grain Quiz. Today we are quizzing my fabulous colleague, Becky Hayes. Hi, Bridget. Hey, Becky. So I think you fancy yourself a little bit of a world traveler, don't you? Sure, I get around a little bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, can you tell us, what is a Scottish spurtle? Is it A, a utensil that's used for stirring porridge to avoid lumps, or B, a golden trophy awarded annually to the very best porridge maker in all the land? All right, I got a 50-50 shot here. For all of our sakes, I sincerely hope it's B, a golden trophy. I don't even know what that is, but I know I want one. Yeah, me too. I want one too. But I did trick you because they're both right. In 2016, Bob's Red Mill's very own Bob Moore won it as the Golden Spurtle World Porridge Champion. And he used Bob's Red Mill's gluten-free organic steel-cut oats. Each serving has five grams of protein, lots of fiber, and is certified gluten-free. For more information on these prize-worthy oats and a ton of delicious recipes, go to bobsredmill.com. Now, back to the show. Let's move forwards a little bit. All right. To good old FDR. Gotcha. One of our faves, Eleanor's husband. Eleanor's husband. One of his most monumental achievements. Mr. Eleanor Roosevelt. Correct. Exactly. Yes. So, humble guy, generally, Mm -hmm. um, but also very focused on keeping regions of the country kind of engaged to get over these things like the Great Depression or World War II. Hmm. These sort of like minor problems. Big that you, ticket items. Exactly. <laughs> and you want the like the weight of the country behind you when you're trying to solve these problems. So he did make a big deal about eating foods from different parts of the country sort of as a symbolic gesture to indicate that he was a representative for everybody in America. 
And one of the things that he was exposed to was abalone from California, which, as you know, it's a shellfish. Mm -hmm. It's gigantic. It's sort of weird. It lives on rocks that you have to really take your life in your hands to go and harvest. It is a dangerous job to it's harvest. A yeah. Dangerous job. Yeah, yeah. People die. Yes. So he had these brought to the White House for a meal. And there was a very specific recipe that I'm not sure, I don't know if we have documentation whether or not this came from him or his cooking camp, as it were, or whether it came from the purveyor of the abalone. But this is very ATK kind oh, really? of instruction. Really? Yes. You saute it for 26 seconds exactly on each side, and then you serve. 26. Yeah. 27, you're toast. You're, you're done. It's chewing gum at that point. And 25. <laughs> 25, it's sushi. Come on. You're nobody, not even trying. No, nobody needs that. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's still a very rare ingredient to get your hands on in the U.S. And there's, it's very seasonal. And because it can't be cultivated very easily and because it's so dangerous to harvest and also often found in places like national parks. Mm -hmm. So you're not allowed to. Right. It's still something that's pretty rare to come across. But it's not so dissimilar to like somewhere between a clam and a scallop, maybe. Right. Maybe a little bit chewier than right. both of those things. Right. I've never had it. No? Yeah. Have you? I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has its fans, right? And probably for good reason. But yeah. it's sort of like, it reminds me a little bit of like um, escargot, where I'm in it for the garlic. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Escargot and frog's legs. Give me enough garlic. Oh, I love a frog's yeah, leg. Yum. Speaking of frogs, like, so we're going to go back 100 years from FDR, back to President John Tyler. Huh. Who? Who? <laughs> Is he one of the Duran Duran members? No, those are the Taylors. The Taylors, Sorry. exactly. Right. But hey, listen, John Tyler probably had groupies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, it was 1841 when he took over. Also a very odd time in American history, yes. sort of in between the Andrew Jackson era and leading up to the Civil War era. So lots of, you know, political strife and social strife and, like, um, still trying to find our feet as a country. Sure. And so one of his big celebrations, he was one of the first to institute this idea of, like, we got to have a big celebration in Washington for July 4th. It's not just a date that we notice, but we actually need to party. Right. Right. So somebody sent him from Key West, Florida, a fan of his, potentially a groupie, I don't know, but definitely a fan ah, and a supporter, a 300-pound turtle. That was a slow delivery. I mean, how long did it take to get up there? Did they ride the 300? How big is the 300-pound turtle? Huge. Yeah. <laughs> This was a really common thing in the day to eat turtle. And it was very, very common, especially for seafarers, because you could keep a turtle alive on a boat for as long as, basically as long as you needed to. They would sure. eat scraps. You need to make sure they have enough water. They're not trying to run away. No. Right? They no. might hide. Not is the best that they can do. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, sort of for the turtles or tortoises, whichever it was, you could stack them on top of each other mm. in the boat, and there's not much they can do. Right. I mean, the turtle doesn't have a lot to fall back on. But to keep it fresh, you just ship it up alive yeah. and then dispatch it, <laughs> process it, slice it into steaks. Sometimes it's more like a pulled meat, more like a pork. Mm -hmm. Very, very. Have you ever had turtle? 
I have never had turtle. I've had mock turtle okay, soup, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which came about when people said, I don't want to eat turtle anymore. Exactly. I, I love that there was something called mock turtle soup, <laughs> that there was a need to make a mock <laughs> turtle soup. The thing about turtle, I've had it before, and it's unremarkable, I would mm-hmm. say. It's got kind of um, a chewiness, a density to the flesh. I mean, it depends a little bit on where you're getting it from the sure. turtle. It takes on flavor well. And it's lean in the sense of turtles are kind of muscly, but it's not, they don't run around. No. <laughs> They're not like losing weight. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it does have a little bit of a richness. And again, it takes on a lot of flavor. But the size of it, I think, was the thing. I think that's it. Yeah. If you're thinking about like Galapagos tortoises, that's what you need to be yeah. thinking about. Oh. Because you could ride that around, as you suggested, sort right. of a tortoise derby, perhaps. Before the dispatchment. (laughs) (laughs) So the last one I have for you is James K. Polk. Hmm. Not too familiar with him. Another one that has not quite been lost to the annals of history, but like maybe flirting around the edges of the like, you know, hazy, hazy, forgettable moments. James K. Polk is from Tennessee. Okay. You're from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Not neighbors, but not far. Sure. Yeah. In the great scale of the whole country. Yes, we are neighbors. Same mountain chain. Exactly. A little bit of sort of similarity of the way that you're living, especially at that time. I mean, 18, he was in there from 1845 to 1849 in the White House. This is Daniel Boone time, Right. right? I mean, so it's the frontier. This is actually the Wild West, even though it's only Tennessee. Right. Which really is... Dollywood, as far as I'm concerned. I love Dollywood. Yeah, but I mean, what's not to love? Right. One thing they don't do at Dollywood is serve bear, which is what James K. Polk was a big fan of. Bear. Bear. I have not had bear. But I'm kind of curious about bear because, look, I don't think bears are cute and I don't want to kill them. Exactly. But I'm curious about the flavor because they forage. Mm -hmm. They're generally vegetarian. Sometimes they eat small little things, but they don't tend to bring down deers unless they're really in trouble. Right. So they probably take on a lot of terroir. Mm -hmm. They're grazers. They're free-range grazers. (laughs) Exactly. So you think about all of the incredible sort of diversity of plant life in the Appalachians, right? I mean, like extraordinary. Mm -hmm. One of the most diverse regions of the world. So it has a very likely, I would think, a very distinct flavor. They also probably have dark meat, light meat, like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they're very active animals. Right. And in this scenario, he was doing bear steaks. So bear steaks. I don't know exactly, but my guess is that it comes from something like a loin. Yes. And you cook it you basically saute it in cast iron with butter and salt and pepper and maybe a little garlic or whatever else you have around. But it's a very, very simple dish. It was something he grew up with. So as a subsistence kind of, you know, upbringing, this was sure. very common. Bear, deer, whatever. Look, does it move? Let's try to eat it. Well, if you were president, yeah, tell me what's on your menu. I would love, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, fried chicken and bubbles. I'm voting for you. (laughs) We're going in there together, Bridget. We're going to fix this mess. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Thanks, Tucker. Well, thanks to my running mate, Tucker. I'll be vice president. Fair enough. Because I don't really like to work too much. Let's hire a president. You and I just kind of hang out. Cool in the backyard. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you, Bridget. 
Uh, Thanks so much to Tucker, the stroll down presidential lane. And thanks to all of you for listening to this bonus episode of Proof. We want you to keep tuning in every Thursday for more Proof bonus episodes where we're answering your questions. And if you have a weird food question that you'd like us to answer, then email proof at americastestkitchen.com. And please stay tuned for season three of Proof coming this fall. 